once again, thank you, dearest Janet Lee. Your, your style, your touch turns me on. And from the letters and calls that I get, there's a whole lot of other people. It just turns on because they can feel the spirit of it. And God bless you out there, audience. We are here today, and today will be a deep, deep trek into the Word of God. Now, hold on and listen to the whole story. Don't get feisty, and when some of these things are coming out, feel like, oh, oh my, oh my, this is, this is difficult. Hang in. I will take you through this labyrinth that is out there, that has confused the people. I will take you on a journey today. Hang in. Hang and hold. God bless you. This is Sunday, December 15th, 2013. And the message today is Analog with Angels, Part 24. We're going to, be, going to be talking about understanding the meaning of paradise at last. We pray according as God has led me to do this, that the words of this message will be imbued with healing for the people who are fighting fatigue. That as this word is heard from word to word, from verse of it to verse of it, it will be imbued with energy of healing to deliver you from the fatigue that you are fighting. Well, in the manifest, there is a, a, a writing, the Holy Manifest, which I received from the angel Gabriel many, many long years ago. And it says, that which you see is not that which is. But that which you see is that which is not. There are so many people who read the Bible and believe that they really know what it is saying. There are so many people that are into a doctrine synthesized from conglomerate idioms and ideologies of people who were guessing as to what the scriptures might mean. In fact, it has been said by some of the, the scholars of times past that interpreting the word of the Old Testament from his Chaldean and Hebrew and interpreting the word from the New Testament of his old Greek is pretty much like a guess because there were no periods, there was no commas, colons, or any kind of grammatical marks. Even the marks that later it received did not happen till about 300 to 350 years after Christ. 
And when you would look at it, there were no verses, no paragraphs. The words were not separated. And sometimes you would have to understand that one letter, our constant, stood for it being doubled. And you were very dependent on knowing what it said as to the time, as to many, many of the major things that we depend on in English to tell us what the definition of something is, you had to use the context of the scripture to be able to truly understand what it meant. And so by taking and dividing these letters and then putting the spaces between the words, filling in the extra consonants, and all the things that could and should be done, it was totally possible to do it more than one way. And then you have, in the translations, the changes that happen when you are involved in going from one transliteration of language to another transliteration of language. For instance, in the book of Revelation, it talks about if you ever add to or, or take away from the word, you know, you're under a curse. And yet, even in the King James Version, when they wrote that very sentence and verse, they had to add and make changes for it to have a, a way of being understood in the English. And so there were, there were like, you know, verbs and various type of um, help words that had to go in there to be able to, to be, able to be understood in English and, and for it to have intelligence to it. Well, there are so many things in the Bible that people don't even know are in the Bible, which the manifest calls the invisible Bible. People read something and it says a certain thing and they think that it means something different than what it does. You know, in the days of Moses, there was a spirit-to-spirit -spirit ex example, a spirit-to-spirit spirit, spirit -spirit experience that Moses had with, with Yahweh, or Yahweh, as we call him. Number 17, uh, verse of the 11th chapter, Numbers 11, 17, uh, it is written, I will come down and talk with thee, there I will take of the spirit which is upon thee, and I will put it upon them. And in verse 25 of chapter 11, he says, I'm going to put it upon the 70 elders. So he took the spirit that was upon Moses and put it upon 70 other elders. There's incredible things that have happened. In Hebrews 2.16 
It is written, he, meaning Jesus, took not on the nature of, of angels, but he took on the body of Abraham. And yet, in John 1, 51, Jesus is speaking in the book of St. John, and he says, You shall see the heavens open and angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, we want to talk about some of those things. We have so much to share. We, we find it extremely exciting. And I know that you do too. You just are being asked to open up your mind. And for any of you people out there that are feeling like you're in the gray-headed ears, there's some really neat scriptures in Psalms. Psalms 71.18 says, let's fa in fact, let's start with Psalms 71.9. Cast me not off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. 71.18. Also, when I am gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have shown thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone who is to come. Well, do you have any idea how long ago that that was written in the book of Psalms? Do you have any idea about and show thy power to everyone who is to come? <laughs> That's still happening. That's still going on. People are still being born. They're still coming. And how long will that go on? We will talk about that along with many other things on this subject about paradise. I, you know, I can, I can apply to this. I can, I can really apply to this. God, keep me living. Keep me going on till I've, I've shown this word to this whole generation that's alive and that I've made it available for the coming generations. Praise God. This is something that we can do dear people. It is something beautiful. It is something available. Wow. You know, in the book of um, Hebrews eleven thirty nine through 40, Paul writes about those people in the t from the time of Abraham and on who went through all kinds of incredible things and how that they were looking for a city. And he describes, you know, that looking for a city in Hebrew 11, 10 through 15. And in Hebrew 13, 14, he said, we don't have a continuing city here, but there is a continuing city. And there's people that understand, and they're looking for that city. But there, there are so many things that are confusing to people. You know, behold, I come quickly. Just a little while and I'm going to be there. And all of the terms of, about the coming that seem to say that Jesus should come almost any moment. And yet, this is the year 2013. And someone will say, yeah, but one day with the Lord is a thousand years. Yeah, that's all true. 
And I guess, I, I, you know, you have the right. The Bible says, let every person work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. You have the right to take this Pesher word and to interpret it the way that you really believe it is meant. And no one should condemn you or judge you or put you down. You have that right. By the same token, I have the right, as I feel moved by the Spirit, to do the same. And I've tried to show people that the real proper translation for many of these times where it says, Behold, I come quickly. Behold, I'm coming soon. It, it really means, Behold, I come suddenly. And suddenly is so important to have that understanding because when you say suddenly, instead of quickly or instead of soon, then it, it changes everything. It means that he can come in a flash, it, it, can, be, it, it can be quickly, it can be a, a soon happening, like from the time it is initiated to the time that it, it, uh, it is uh, broadcast, like where the Bible says he's coming like a flash of lightning and it'll be like from the east to the west, just bam, in the speed of light. Yeah. But the thing that's important is that he's coming suddenly, but suddenly does not have fastened into it the idiom that in our way of conversation and understanding definitions means just a short time. But it means that when it does come, because it's going to be like a thief in the night and people are not going to be expecting it the way it's going to be. It's going to be like a thief in the night and it's, and it's going to be suddenly. Suddenly. And those things are so important. And there's this, this kind of thing of, of deferred, what we call progeny of those who are a part of the past that belong to a part of the future. And it's just so important to, to know and believe those things. So let me, let me read to you uh, Hebrews 11 and start with verse 39 because it's very important. It talks about the people in verse 35 through 40 who went through all kinds of things. And they did even experience some of their, their family being raised to life again. But they were seeking and looking for, in verse 35, a better resurrection. And it talks about the world wasn't even worthy of some of these people. Verse 39, And these, all having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. And you could also say this, that they without us or us without them could not be made perfect. So that they, by deferred progeny, not only belonged 
for their to their experience in the past, but they belonged to their experience in the future. Now, someone say, well, what do you mean by that deferred progeny? Well, the Bible says that Abraham, when he met Melchizedek, was carrying in his loins Levi. And so that when Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, that then also included Levi paying tithes to Melchizedek because he was in his loins. And that's what we call deferred progeny. That means there is a, a, a reckoning of merit for it getting the credit of receiving it at that time that Melchizedek was there and available. But he was receiving it even though he had not yet even been born yet because his progeny of being born in a fleshly body was deferred till, till another time. So there are things that by our presence of, in the spirit realm can receive notice and, and can receive uh, reverence to and benefits from even though we are not in a, a materialization. And I'm just saying all these things to sort of lay a foundation so that you can better understand some of the teachings that, you know, I'm going to get into. Now, even Moses understood this. And in Deuteronomy 29, 15, it's interesting what he says. I'm going to read it to you. Deuteronomy 29, 15. He's talking about the people that are involved in receiving and understanding the covenant and the things that God has done. And it says, But with him that standeth here with us this day before the Lord our God, and also with him that is not here with us this, this day. Moses understood that things that he and the people were committing to and that were involved with at that time also had to include other people that were not there, even people not born, people not even born yet. Ladies and gentlemen, this is just Bible. Now, there are so many things that are just misunderstood. Like in Matthew 24, 14, And I'll just read it to you because it's a really, really important scripture. And it's so misunderstood and so mistold and mispreached. And it's the one in Matthew 24, 14 that says this. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now that was an important statement. Because prior to that, it said something very interesting. It said something just the opposite, in fact, from the way that Many pulpiteers preach it. 
it talks about all the things that are going to be happening, you know, that are very troublesome. Like, many will come in my name saying I'm Christ and deceive many. Verse 5 of, of Revelations 24. And verse 6 says, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars and see that you be not troubled. Now, if all of this kind of teaching of disaster and devastation and cataclysmic doomsday is troubling you, then something is wrong with how you believe. Because Jesus said, be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass. They all have to happen. They're all planned to happen. But get this. Get this. But the end is not yet. It's not the end. All these things. Well, let's put some more on the list. Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in divers places. Oh, is that, is that the rest of the list that means it's the end? No. Verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Just the beginning. It's not the end. It's just the beginning. So that verse that we read to you, and the gospel, verse 14, of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto the nations, and then shall the end come. Very important. The word world here is from the Greek, number 3625. But, you know, it is the last listing of the dictionary meaning. It's the in inhabited world. It's about humankind. Basically, it's talking about all of the humans of this earth. Because the Bible says in the 12th chapter of Revelations that the tail of the dragon cast down one-third of the stars of heaven. And there were three groups of stars, the seraphim, the cherubim, and the ophanim, the ophans described in Ezekiel chapter 1 and chapter 10 of, of Ezekiel. The three groups of angels came to this earth under the title Elohim, plural. And they were cast down to earth. And all of these that took on human bodies, if not now, if in the future, because that's the way the Bible works with this deferred progeny, are all part that were cast down to the earth to inhabit the earth. But this earth here is represented not just inclusively and limitedly as earth, but only as the earth world and the solar system are a part of the universe. You do understand that. You do understand that this earth 
and our solar system is a part of the universe, part of the Milky Way, which is a galaxy that we are in, which is a galaxy that belongs to the universe that we are in. And why is that important? It's important contextually. Because if you will just get Strong's Concordance or any concordance and look up the word for world from the first gospel all the way through the, the whole testament, the whole New Testament, almost always the word that is describing world is cosmos from the Greek cosmos, meaning universe. So the, the contentially of the whole New Testament, time after time after time after time, that is what it is about. And that is so important for you to see that and to understand that. Now, for instance, we're in Matthew 20, 24, 14, and we've got this gospel pre being preached on the earth, that's the last word, the word before that is world again. But in verse 21 of the same chapter, continuing the same from the same verse, for then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world, the word is cosmos from the Greek, cosmos. Now, if we go over to another uh, verse uh, and chapter, chapter 26 of Matthew. And it's talking about this lady who, who anointed Jesus with this expensive type of anointment that she did for his burial because there was such an understanding of that to be able to have even done that. And verse 13 said, Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, and that is 2889 Greek, meaning cosmos, in the whole universe. So we see that contextually the subject is universe. It is universe. So when the Bible says, go you into all the world and preach the gospel, contextually it's talking about the universe. So when we read in the, in the scripture, in, in, where Jesus said, go, go into, the, into the world and preach the gospel. In several places, it, it, the meaning of that gospel world is cosmos. Now, people can't hardly receive that now because they can't think it's possible because they think that the word soon and coming quickly and all those signs that the Bible says this is not the end, <laughs> it's just the beginning, they can't understand that. And because they can't understand it, they can't put it together. And they're missing out on the incredible truth of the Word of God. And this, this woman here that, that did this work on earth, that word is going to be preached in the, whole, in, in the cosmos, in the universe. It says it right here. Well, that's the gospel. And this gospel must be preached in the whole world. Then that verse right there in 26, 26, 13, takes it beyond the earth. So that in Isaiah 51, when it says, from the foundations of the earth, we will plant the heavens. 
shows the continuity of the text of taking it from the earth. It has to be preached to all the earth and then it has to be preached in the universe. And this is all tied into when that is all done and preached to all the inhabitants. And the inhabitants that it's talking about is those angels who were cast down from heaven who were of the group of the Ophidim that are getting the chance to come into human bodies so that they can be salvaged, which is where the word salvation comes from. Okay. Wanted to get that, that down. I mean, even Naves, N-A-V, apostrophe S, topical Bible reference, which is, is a world famous. Even in the new Strong's Concordance, they, they have Naves topical Bible reference at the back of it. Shows that in John 1.10, that world is talking about universe. But that the main thing that it means many times as a second part of the world meaning of world is like in Psalms 9.8 and Hebrews or Psalms 9.8 and Psalms 96.13 which is Hebrews Strong Concordance 83.98 it refers to the human race because that's what everything is about that's what the universe is about God made the world for there to be a habitation of it. And then number three, unregenerated humanity. That is also called the world. John fifteen eighteen. There's the word again, twenty eight eighty nine. You know, that's cosmos. And what is saying that that world can hate you? Because you know the Bible says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. So all of these things in this in the sub-addition, or not the sub-addition, but the sub-deduction uh, sub zones of, of this universe all belong to, to the physical realm. And, and they, they are anti to the total spirit realm. And then, of course, there's one other interpretation Number 165, where it talks about, you know, um, the age. And, and the age can mean forever, which basically is described in the Bible in many verses about the end of the sun star. But this thing, and I'm getting out of this right now in just a jiffy, of the world using the 3625 Greek strongest word for the scripture that I read to you in the 24th chapter and the 14th verse of Matthew about the gospel being preached in all that world really is about the inhabited world and humankind. And that's what it says in the strongest concordance, 3625, and the world, and then... At last, the earth. The earth being just a part of the cosmos world. Wow. Okay. We got to keep moving. We have a lot here to cover. So much to be said. So much to reveal. So beautiful is the word of God. So true. 
such an unction of glory. Okay, now, <laughs> we want to talk about an event that is written about in the book of, of the Kings, in the book of the Chronicles. And it's about two kings. One is Jehoshaphat, and he's the king over Judah. And the other is Ahab and his wife Jezebel, who are king and queen over Israel. And during their time, there is a prophet who lives by the name of Elijah. And Elijah is not afraid of these people. He ministers to them whatever God speaks. Ahab and Jezebel despise him and fear him. And when they want to get a prophecy, they go to the Babel prophet kingdom because they like how they say things, but they don't like how Elijah says things in his prophecies. Well, then Jehoshaphat dies. And his son Jehoram J-E-H-O-R-A-M, becomes king. Now, one thing that Jehoshaphat would have never allowed Jehoram to do, that he did, because if you read in the scripture there, you'll see that because Jehoram was the firstborn, he was given the title to be able to take his place as a king. But still there was silver and all kinds of gifts of land and things given to, his, to Jehoshaphat's other children because he cared about them and he wanted them to have longevity. But as soon as Jeho Jehoshaphat died, Jehoram went out and killed all his brothers and families, destroyed them so that they couldn't possibly ever have a chance to conspire for his kingdom. Now that's all important because it gives you it gives a timetable. Because prior to that, prior to that, we have the situation where there is a time element. And in this in the early time when this is all going on, Elijah, the prophet, is taken up in the fiery chariots of God and carried up into heaven. Now, it does get to be a little bit confusing, and you have to read it very carefully in these books of Kings and Chronicles because there seems to be <laughs> two Jehorams, although in one who was the son of Ahab was actually called Joram, J-O-R-A-M. Nevertheless, in the book, he's also called Jehoram. So that 
these two kings who were in alliance together, by the way, which was something that really offended God, even named some of their children the same. And there is this son called Ahaziah, who then becomes the king of Israel and takes the place of Jehoshaphat. Or not Jehoshaphat, beg your pardon. Who takes the place of Ahab and becomes the king of Israel. That's A-H-A-Z, R-Z, if you're Canadian, I-A-H, king of Israel. And something very strange happens. And it's in Second Chronicles 21. And you need to read this. If you've never known this or read this before, you need to know it and read it. Because this prophet Elijah is already gone. And years have gone by. And yet, all of a sudden, in the middle of the scriptures here, in Second Chronicles 21, verse 12, and there came a writing to him, meaning Jehoram, who was the son of Jehoshaphat, the prophet from Elijah the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of David thy father, because thou hast not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat thy father. Now we see that Jehoram is, in fact, the son of Jehoshaphat. So, that is very, very important uh, for you to be able to see. Now, you can look in other scripture and see where it actually mentions the same son being the son of Ahab. But we won't confuse it because we haven't got time to go into that that much uh, difficulty of getting everything put in place. This prophecy goes on. Thou hast walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Now this is Ahab and the queen, Jezebel, and hath made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to go a-whoring, like to the whoredoms of the house of Ahab, and hast slain thy brethren of the father's house, which were better than thyself. And this is where Jehoram kills his family. Behold, with a great plague will the Lord smite thy people, thy children, and thy wives, and all thy goods. Thou shalt have sickness of disease of thy bowels, until thy bowels fall out by reason of the sickness day by day. And that's a prophecy given by Elijah after Elijah has descended. Now there are some people out there who say, no, no, that's not correct. He was still alive. But they are just wrong. They just haven't got it straight. They're confused. And then there's others that say, oh yeah, no, he, he, was, he was dead. 
uh, well, he was he was lifted up, but he wasn't taken to heaven. He couldn't go to heaven because no one's allowed to go to heaven. And so he was just moved to another place on earth. And why do they say that that Elijah was not able to go to heaven? <laughs> because they misinterpret the scripture without understanding it in the book of John. And the book of John says some very interesting things about that. Chapter 2, verse 13. All right, let's start with verse 12. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No man hath descended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. So they are saying that no one can go to heaven. Any of you people that think you're going to heaven, you can't go. Uh, only Jesus Christ can go to heaven. And no one else can go until the, after the judgment. And why are they saying that? Because they are not understanding this verse. No man hath descended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven. Now notice that it doesn't say no spirit. <laughs> it says no man. This is a physical materialization. So we're really talking about the Father's house there. And then metaphorically about the heaven of heavens, the first domain. So that is so very, very interesting to get to these points and to see these points and to put them in perspective the way that it needs to be. Because without that, um, we just don't, uh, we don't get the point. So um, I, I want to make this point that, that, that the Bible says, no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven that guess who has come down from heaven? All of these stars that Satan cast down were cast down from heaven. They were cast down from the Father's house. And I've done teachings on that to show you how that the, the tail of the dragon actually comes around the, uh, uh, in a loop around the, the, um, uh, the little dipper in the area where, uh, of Asia Minor where the Father's house is located. I've showed that to you. And so every one of you out there in your life as an Ophanim, you, you've been to heaven. You came from heaven. And so you are going to be able to go to heaven because your name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. But these new people that will come after all the people who have been regenerated of those that fell, whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they cannot go up to heaven. They can't enter into the Father's house. They can't enter into the, the, the first domain, the heaven of heavens, because they never been to heaven. They never came from there. They never came down from there. But you have, and therefore you can't ascend. And so when it talks about Elijah ascending, he did ascend. He went to the Father's house, but then he came back. And this is the point we want to show you. When they come up with all of these crazy excuses of, of 
Elijah being taken over to some other part of the earth and all these things. And you couldn't, can't go to heaven, neither can anybody else. And, and, and it's appointed unto man once to die. Hebrews 9.24. And after that, you know, uh, that's it. Even though there's just one time after the other throughout the whole Bible in which there's been people raised from the dead and went on living, even in the Old Testament time and in the New Testament time, yet people don't seem to get it, that there must be something that they are not understanding. Because it says in verse, verse 27 of Hebrews 9, and, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after that the judgment, that the simple problem there is that by translating and transliterating that Hebrew into Greek to Latin, the Greek syntax has once, the word once, before the term men instead of after it. So it got moved after men, which instead of before men, which then changed it from the fact that the appointment is what, is what it was referred to as once. There was one appointment. And then changed it to it being there is only once to die, which is not what the original scripture said. And this is so important to understand. So absolutely important. We're going to take a break. Janet Lee at the organ.
Praise be the name of God. Thank you again, Janet Lee. Great. Super. All right. So let's move on because I want to get to paradise here and some stuff. But I need to give you all this background and all this information because it's all important. So now we got this revelation of Elijah. And he has taken off to the Father's house as it describes it in St. Uh, John uh, chapter 14. Jesus said, I go away to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also. In my Father's house are many mansions. And he says, I'm going to bring you there. I'm going to take you there. Where I am, that's where you're going to be. I'm coming back to get you. Well, Elijah went there. Paul in his virtual reality experience went went there. Third paradise. Yes, he went there. And there are so many beautiful things about all of this because it means that Elijah began to take on um, a revitalization of, of the longevity of life. He just kept living. And he, kept, he could come back and he could minister. And, and there is wonderful, beautiful Bible for that. Absolutely wonderful, beautiful Bible for it. And the Bible tells us in Jude 8 that when they come back in their ministry and they come back, they're called dignitaries. Dignitaries. D-I-G-N-I-T-A-R-I-E-S. Jude verse 8. And in Revelations 22, 8 through 9 and Revelations 19, it talks about this, like, they were dignitaries, this person that came back and he was revealing revelation to, to John and, and John fell down and began to worship him and, and this angel said, no, 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 you can't do that. I'm, I'm one of you. I'm one of, the, I'm, just, I'm one of the prophets. I'm one of the prophets. I'm one of you. And he came back and he's ministering to the people of God just like Elijah came back. But that didn't keep him from going to the Father's house. Those heavenly chariots took him up. The Bible talks about this thing of heavenly chariots and the, the ancients and how that they were caught up in the whirlwind of the skies. In ancient times they were caught up. This wasn't the first time it ever happened with Elijah. There was Enoch. There, there was other examples not even written name-wise out. Wow. And so there are things people don't understand. Like we talk about what you see is not what is, what you see is what is not. You know, the, the language, you know, is important to understand because um, uh, you get extra insights like you've got the Holy Spirit and you've got the Holy Ghost. Some people say, yeah, that just means the same thing. No, it doesn't. The Holy Spirit is the general spirit, but when it is put into a, a certain quantity, and the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit, which shows us that there are different quantities, then it, it at some point can become the Holy Ghost. And, and so then there are things like um, 
where the Bible talks about, in Revelations, about the noise of the thunder. That didn't mean that that noise wasn't saying something. It just means that it was a message of God that was not understood by the people masses. And Jesus spoke in parables, and, and, and uh, that was a certain kind of noise, different from the, the clear uh, perspective of what the meaning of that parable really was. And the disciples would say, Jesus, why don't you just talk plainly and let the people know what you've told us? And he says, it's not the time, it's not meant, not meant to be. And then there's things like, um, you know, um, uh, the, um, the cloud, you know, the cloud is another example where, where uh, that is also a, a message, just like the noise is a message, and it means a certain thing. And, and when it talks uh, about being taken up in the cloud, it's actually being, you know, it's actually talking about being taken up in, in a Sith, uh, in, in a chariot of God. But, you know, uh, it, people can't see it. Why can't they see it? Because they are looking, as Paul described it, through a glass darkly. Their, their minds, their brains have a, a fog uh, in it. They, they've got a fog brain ha experience happening. And, and until that is cleared, they're not going to understand what the noise of the thunder means or the cloud means. But once that fog gets cleared out, then they're going to understand because they're not going to be looking through a glass darkly. They're going to be coming into the Holy Spirit, uh, bringing all things back into rem uh, remembrance. Wow. And so virtual realities that we're going to, we're going to be experiencing uh, some virtual reality things here in the near future. We're going to take people on a virtual reality trip to, to, into, into the universe. Uh, we've had one before. We're going to do another one. And, and uh, you know, Ezekiel was taken up by a lock of his hair. That was a virtual reality trip. Paul was taken to paradise. That was a virtual reality trip. Some of the visions that people had, especially if you read it very carefully and see the disposition of them, uh, they were virtual realities. And it's just important to know that. It's very important to know it. Blessed be the name of God. Blessed be the name of God. You know, the voice of many waters is important to understand because at Babel, all the languages were confused and confounded. So now you've got some of the different meanings that are spread into the different dialects and different languages, and, and you don't have the full language, and the only way you're ever going to get the full language is when in the Old Testament talks about there's going to be a restoration of the language. There's going to be a pure language that people are going to have again. Wow. There's great things coming. You mustn't get away from the revelation of the fallen angels, of, of the, the one-third of the stars, of the, th of the three groups that fell. And, and you mustn't get away from the idea that the, that the star cathedral of the universe represents in that universe as being the house for the stars. And, and the stars are the metaphors of the soul entities very clearly mentioned over and over and over again and described over and over again in the Bible in that form. So as we begin to see these things about the dignitaries and so forth, we see also that they can come back in, in different uh, body shapes. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 6, um, 
Paul talks about transferring in a figure a certain changed physical element, turning it over to the forces of darkness to teach that person a lesson. Well, that has a lot of insight that needs to be looked into. But in Matthew 17, 2 and Mark 9, 2, it talks about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And it talks about how he, he transfigured into two other persons, Elijah. Wow. Was the, was, it was incredible. It was incredible. You imagine? How, how could that be? Well, we're going to show you. We're going to tell you. We're going to show you how that, that this experience actually happened and how that Moses and Elijah appeared as angels in the body of Jesus. And that was part of the transfiguration. Someone said, oh, wow, that's, that's, that's too far out. Don't jump the gun. Hang and hold. We're going to get into some scripture here, and you are going to be <laughs> exhilarated because this is an exciting moment. You see, at the very time that, um, as I read to you earlier, at the very time that um, that Jesus is, that it is mentioned about Jesus uh, taking on the body of the seed of Abraham, not the body of angels, yet in the book of John. And I'm going to turn there again right now because that is just so important to understand what that scripture says. And it's in verse 51 of chapter 1. And this is Jesus speaking. And he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, hereafter you shall see heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Men, the Son of God, Man, pardon me. And you shall see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now this is Son of Man, and there are angels descending and ascending, and, and, and there's Joseph and his experience of the latter with angels descending and ascending, and there's all of these experiences that are in the Bible. Now in the book of John, you know, uh, the Gospel of John, it's very, very interesting some things that it says there that just must not and cannot be missed. In chapter 1, verse 32, it says, And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven in a dove, or pardon me, in, from heaven like a dove, and it abode, abode upon him, and I knew him not. Now, many people have really wondered about that. How could, how could John, who was the, the cousin of Jesus, not know his cousin. Well, where we get into a problem here is in punctuation. Because you remember in the original Greek, there was no punctuation. So all this punctuation that is in here has been added by the translators. So when it says, and I knew him not, The meaning here is just quite different than what people think that it is because they haven't been able to see the real incredible revelation. And I knew him not. 
John did not recognize Jesus after the Spirit descended on him as a dove, of which Jesus said, this is a thing that happens. This, this transfiguration is something that happens. It can happen with the saints. It's happened, it happened with, with Moses. The Bible says in the book of, of, of Numbers that the spirit of Moses was taken the spirit upon Moses was taken and put upon his 70 elders. There's things like this that people don't understand that are just so deep and so spiritual and how that, that people can transform like when Jesus came out of, of the tomb and, and, and Mary looked at him and, and, and said to the, thought he was a gardener, tell me where they've laid the body of Jesus. And it did not look like Jesus because he was, he was transfigured into another form. The Bible tells us in Mark 16th chapter that as he walked along the road of Damascus that he was, he was transformed in another form and the disciples didn't recognize him. And Jesus said, this is going to happen. The angels are going to be descending and ascending on me. And people don't understand how that the Holy Ghost is involved in this. And there is so much more I could teach and, and, and get into on that because it is a beautiful and deep, deep subject. But this ascending and descending is a powerful, powerful thing that, that measures an understanding that's worthwhile knowing in the subject of this thing of, of paradise, which we are going to get into just right away. I'm going to have to, you know, back down a little bit trying to get all of this, this uh, revelation out to you in one lump because if I try to do that, I'm just going to miss, miss some very neat things. first epistle of John says, yeah, this physical thing, he says, we, we saw him in the physical and we touched his, his mortal body. That's first epistle of John 1, 1 through 3. Jesus said to Mary, don't touch me. Because he was in a transfiguration. He didn't want to be touched. He was in a photo transition. Wow. This is so interesting. The Bible says that in John 1, 10 through 11, he was in the world. The world is 2889 cosmos, universe. He was in the universe. And the world cosmos was made by him, but the world knew him not. What it means remembered him not the stars of heaven, which represent us, knew him not. And then he explains it a little more definitely. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. They didn't know who he was. Because this is the, the Bible says in Psalms, this is the land of lost memories. 
It's the land of forgetfulness. Because when humans received the spirit of the fallen angels, the fallen angels, and there are two groups of fallen angels, by the way. The Bible tells us about the devils were cast down, the demon, the, the angels of Satan. That was one group of fallen angels. But there was another group, which was the fallen angels that Satan's cast down, which were one-third, two different groups. And if you don't get that right, then you get everything mixed up. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily shape. In Ephesians 4.9, it talks about now that he ascended, what is it but that he descended first? So there is a descriptive thing that was told by David, by the Spirit, and that's where this is quoted from, about descending down you know, are about, are about, um, uh, about the, you know, the ascended. Now that he ascended, it told about him ascending with the, with the captives. But it didn't describe about that he had to descend first before he ascended. And so Paul reveals that in Ephesians 4.9. He says, but that he first descended before he ascended. So before he ascended, he descended. Now, when the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, and it says that the Holy Spirit descended in bodily shape, then it must be understood, just as Paul saw it from the Old Testament regarding that one subject, that just as the Holy Spirit descended in body shape, he also then ascended. And we have the angels come back and forth. Someone says, yeah, but that's not the angel. <clears throat> you don't really know exactly what the Holy Ghost really is. When the Holy Ghost takes a, a body shape, it can take any shape or anyone's shape or bodily form that it disposes to. If it disposes to. And so it's different just in the general outpouring of the Holy Spirit when it takes on a body form, it becomes something very deep and very different. And I don't have time to explain that all right now. But it's, it's, it's all part of a beautiful transfiguration by the Holy Spirit. Wow. So, those are some points that are very important to see as we begin to look at John 3.13, No man has ascended. And yet we see the revelation of Moses and Elijah, how that they appear uh, as angels in the body of Jesus because Jesus said, and let me read it again, because it's, it, it, it is so important. Verse 51 of ch chapter 1, I say unto you, hereafter you shall see, the, see heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. <laughs> And that's what that's all about. And it's glorious, and it's beauty, beautiful, and that's only a fraction of the understanding because there's so much more. Now, last week we talked about paradise. And we took and we sort of broke the word down. And we took the first part of the word, para. And we showed how that this word para means like side by side. And, and, and it, it has 
it, it becomes a two-part of something. And we showed that um, that there was three mentions of paradise in the Garden of Eden, uh, or pardon me, in, in the in the Bible, um, the New Testament, Luke twenty-three forty-three, Second uh, Corinthians twelve four, and Revelations two seven, but. It's actually mentioned before because in the Septuagint, the Septuagint calls, which is the Greek Bible that was read by the disciples and all kinds of the people during that time, it basically ca calls the Garden of, of Eden, the Garden of God, the Garden of Eden, paradise. And in fact, it was a physical paradise. But in that physical paradise, as I explained last week. You have both the tree of good and evil knowledge and the tree of life. So you have this side-by-side -side of two opposite components. And yet within the tree of life, you have, again, both the good aspect and the bad as aspect. The tree of good and evil. There's a conjunction in the middle there. And the tree that was eaten from was the tree of good and evil. So that is everything that is about what the world is right now. Everybody's involved in this tree of good and evil. And God said, in the day that thou eatest of this, thou shalt die. The day that was represented was a thousand, a thousand years because that represented one generation. And I've given you the scriptures on this many times. And, and so then Jesus, our Adam, who the Bible says in the book of Luke, uh, Luke, it says, and Adam, and this is in the genealogy given in Luke, and Adam who was the son of God. So now we see Adam as representing the son of God, that he was lived 70 years short, 70 years short, of the thousand years and that everyone else according to the book of psalms is living out this 70 to 80 uh, average years of lifespan not children reproducing span but lifespan and and so it is so important to get this message down into your mind this para is going on right now and it's continuing and and and, uh, and this Thing about the revelation of, of Eden is just a whole lot different than what people think it is. You know, it has a good side to it and a good potential to it, but it also has the negative potential. And that's why in the Garden of Eden, there was the Garden East and there was the Garden West. And the Tree of Life and the Tree of Good and Evil was in the midst of them and separating the two. And there you had it, right there at the Garden West, right at the midst, right at the border, right at the fringe, the serpent. Which is the same conditions that are prevailing and existing today. Even if you look at the, the para, as we get into things about the molecular, we get into the opposite of spin directions. One para spins in one direction, the other para spins in the opposite direction. 
So when it talks about in the book of Genesis about the darkness, when you really get into the meaning and are looking at that carefully, uh, the, the darkness that comes come, spins away from the light. And all of those words and all those meanings are incorporated in that. And, and there will be people who will say, no, no, the, you know, the, the earth, it was made just for the heaven, for the, for the, the, uh, the humans. Sure, in Psalms uh, one fifteen sixteen, the heavens, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. And we even see in the Beatitudes, you know, the meek shall inherit the earth, but then there's others that ascend to, to, to the heavens. And we're all talking there. We're talking about a time, a time differentiation. Because we know that the that the earth uh, world does at one time come to an end. The Bible teaches it. And there's to be a new earth. And so it gets to be very puzzling and paradox when people say, well, the earth this and we're going to the earth that. Well, which earth is it talking about? The old earth that's going to age and shrink? Or is it talking about the new earth? You've got to get it right. If you don't get it right, you'll be applying the wrong meanings to some very important credentials of reality. Okay. So, we don't just want to repeat what we taught last week. And people can go on to the archives and get that teaching and listen to it. And a lot of comments, a lot of people just love that teaching. And, uh, you know... There are, there are scriptures, you know, that talk about the trees of, of Eden, envied Lucifer. Talk about Lucifer in the garden of God. It talks about, in Isaiah 37, uh, 12, the children of Eden. There's all kinds of, of scriptures, like I said, Lucifer in the garden of Eden. Ezekiel 28, 13. Trees of Eden envied him. Ezekiel 31.9. On and on and on. It's just incredible. Absolutely incredible. Okay. Now, para. Now let's add the last part of para. Para dice. Now we say it like it's D-I-C-E, but it's actually D-I-S-E. And so... We need to understand exactly the etymology of D-I-S-E. Well, the earlier spelling is D-I-C-E, which is a singularity or a singular meaning, whereas the spelling D-I-S-E is a plural of dice, which also has in it the connotation of die. So that paradise is an abode of souls after death an intermediate resting place 
depending on which part of the para, for the righteous on the one side and for the unrighteous on the other side. So the word dice, D-I-C-E, is actually a part of the paradise. And the differentiation of the D-I-C-E spelling and the D-I-S-E spelling is singular or plural. And this goes way, way back in to some very old meanings of the word, which can be put into a understanding by the etymology of the word. Now, there's also the meaning in this word of dice, D-I-C-E, the meaning of pence, P-E-N-C-E, which can be like penny. But there's also in the contraction of the word pennies, the plural of penny, which is pence, and the compound of it, which is two pence. So when we start talking about people throwing the dice and gambling, <laughs> dice is connected to the idea of money and gambling. And that is on, we could say, using Star Wars mes uh, term, the dark side <laughs> of paradise. There is a good side of paradise. Now, someone says, well, you know, what does that prove? <laughs> it proves a lot. For interest, instance, there is an extreme example called amelioration. A-M-E-L-I-O-R-A-T-I-O-N. Amelioration is where it is proven that a word that refers to something going over a period of time can have a different meaning than it, than it originally had, but that it keeps taking on additional meanings that seem to improve the character of its definition. So all of these kinds of things are all part of what we need to know about this word. And someone says, well, you know, I don't, I don't get the, the advantage of knowing about the, the you know, the this thing with the the dice and all of that. Well, it's very important because, believe me, it goes back into the understanding of what is called Purim or Pir or Pur and what is called Urim and Thummim. And you see in the book of, um, of Exodus 25.7, it talks about how that the the ephod was made. And we've been doing all this teaching about the ephod and how that it had the fringes on it with the pomegranates and the bills and all the meanings of that. And you people that have missed that, you can go back on on some of our broadcasts and, and really listen to those because it, it is such an incredible revelation. And so we have these onk stones 
O-N-X-Y, that are to be one on each shoulder of the ephod. And there is, as it says in Exodus 25, 7, there is to be these two stones that are set into the breastplate. But actually, as we read it, in Exodus 25, 7, we see that that these stones are to be set in the ephod and in the bless the breastplate. So the the these stones represent two sets, which is similar to my teaching I did on the the pearl gates, of which it speaks that 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 these gates severally were a pearl, which means that you know that they were like in sets, but they were counted as one. And so we have it in the Bible here, Exodus 25, 7, that there was two sets of these stones. Plus, there was in Exodus 28, 12, the onk stones, which were put on the shoulder of the ephod, Exodus 28, 12. But Exodus 25, 7 says that the other stones were to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. So there's two different places in the breastplate that there was like a pouch. A pouch for one set of stones and a pouch for the other set of stones. Here again we have the para. And, and one set of the stones was the war stones. was about deciding whether to go to a war, like two stones that maybe like, for instance, one could be black, one could be white. And and you would cast them just like you would die, just like you do cat uh, um, do dice. Someone says, "Oh no no no, oh yes yes yes, that's what the Bible says, and there's scripture for it." Wow, there's scripture for it, absolutely. And it's so important to understand this. You know the Bible. The, the Bible talks about casting the 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 lot into the lap, casting the lot that you throw it down and 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 you're sitting there with this uh, this sort of a, a a a board or 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 something that you can throw these these dice or this purim or the yerman thummim or the war stones down upon your lap. Proverbs 16.33. And in Levi 16.18, or pardon me, 16.8, Levi, it talks about one lot for the Lord and one lot for the, for the uh, scapegoat. And the scapegoat, you know, represent this sort of unholy creature that in, in, in the, the Bible, the goat, actually represents Satan. And so you've got one lot for the Lord and one lot for, for Satan. Levi 16.8. Now as we begin to see this incredibility, we can think of the story in, in Esther 
chapter 9, 26, 28 verse, 29th verse, 31st verse, and the 32nd verse. And this is where this Esther becomes the queen and the fellow who raised her and who was her spiritual advisor, Mordecai, is hated by this man called Haman, the Agagite. And he wanted to destroy not only Mordecai, but Mordecai, who was a Jew, he wanted to destroy all the Jews. So Haman cast, the Bible says, per, P-U-R, the lot to consume and to destroy Mordecai and the Jews. Later, Mordecai and the Jews took away the advantage of this pur and changed it into purim from the urim or pur from the urim pur the purim pur urim and used it to turn the whole thing around from the para. And the very gallows that Haman built to do, to destroy the Jews and Mordecai, he ended up hanging on. There's a whole story there. I don't have time to go through it. You'll have to read it. But there was two sets. So there was the one set which was for the inheritance. And this was the Urim and Thummim, which is called the perfection of lights. And in 1 Samuel 14.41, it was called the perfect lot. And you can see that under the Hebrew word as described in Strong's Dictionary Concordance 85.49. And this is when Saul and Jonathan were brought before the Urim and Thummim to decide which one it was of the two, that had tasted of food during this pledge that they made to not eat anything till they were victorious in war. It ended up being Jonathan. And they asked for a perfect lot because that is another way of describing these stones that are cast in the lamp like dice to decide which one is yes, which is no, or in the Urim and Thummim, there was uh, an, another kind of of, um, of reflection of, of light there that um, that gave the answers with the Urim and Thummim different from the the way that the first set of stones, which were both worn in the ephod, one on the breastplate and one at another place on the ephod. And there's a whole lot more scripture to this, but I just don't have time. But it was so important that when they they lost, uh, because of all the the um, the defeat of of Israel and and Judah, and and they were carried away captives. They eventually uh, lost their connection to the Urim and Thummim, and in Ezra two sixty three. It was telling all these other people who, who could not register because it's, there was no Urim and Thummim to verify their inheritance. And the, and the, the, um, the Tushada, the head person at the time, 
said they would have to wait until there was a priest that stood up with the Urim and Thummim before they would be able to be restored. And this thing about the pearly gates being a several, several one is in Revelations 21, 21. And so now then we have this thing with the, per, the, the Purim on the negative side and the Urim and Thummim on the positive side. And we see that this, this is all part of what the Urim and Thummim, the, <laughs> the paradise, includes all of that. Hebrews 11.4 basically says, They of the past are a part of them that are of the future. And those of the future are a part of them that are of the past. And the ephod, in Exodus 28.31, Thou shalt make a robe of the ephod. And it shall be blue. And blue is the color of the sky. <laughs> The color of the heavens. Verse 32. Exodus 80, 28, 31 through, as I'm reading. There shall be a hole in the top of it, and in the midst thereof it shall have a binding of woven work around about the whole of it. 33. And beneath upon the hem of it, thou shalt make pomegranate of blue, of purple, and of scarlet around about the hem. The hem is also the the... the called the fringe thereof, and the bells of gold, betwe gold between them and round about. Verse 34, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a, gold a golden bell and a pomegranate, upon the hem of the robe around about. Now this thing, as I've ministered to you, is so important, this pomegranate revelation, because it represents these worlds, these new earths that humankind is going to be sent out to. This gospel is going to the universe. Now, I know the people that are believing in doomsday to happen any moment, and the people that are believing in the coming of Jesus Christ to happen any moment have a hard time receiving this, but this is Bible. And, and I've done the teachings that show the, you know, the 70,000 generations and all of that. And in the book of Zechariah, it talks about some of these special things that are used for the holy some symbolisms of, of, of holy things. Talks about a double hundredfold. And there are so many beautiful, deep and wonderful things. In Ezekiel 1.14 it says, And the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. Doesn't that sound like in, in Matthew 24? The f Christ coming like in the, the lightning? All these things are connected. Ezekiel 10.24 says, And I knew the creatures were cherubim. And of course they were cherubim. They were representing standing in proxy for the fallen Ophanim, which are called wheels in Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 2. And the word means fan or Ophanim. 
Well, you're beginning to see how that these teachings that I did about the Gilgal and about the Chambers of the South and how that they all show that there's these ziths, Z-Z-I-T-H-S, these what people call UFOs, which means they don't know what that is. <laughs> Unidentified flying objects. They're all through the Bible. And the Merkabah, the throne of glory, pilot hold, that is in the Zeth, where the the cherubim, the seraphim, or the ophan are, and where once it depicts Yahweh is standing. And how that in Luke it, it speaks of him being carried up into the heavens. Yes. The white horse ministry is a charioteer ministry of the Merkabah. Incorporates the seven colors of the rainbow. Exodus 24, 10 through 12, the paved crystal represents a great revelation on all of this and the Lord standing in the throne room of the pilot hole, hole of the Zith. And there is so much more. We're coming to the end of my teaching here for today. January, February, March. We're dedicating that time to finishing several of the books that need to be published. It's going to take some money to do that. We want you to pray that God will provide those funds. It has not happened yet. Some money has come in, but it just won't cover it. Pray. This word has got to get out to the present generation and for the generations to come can't really cover it in a message like this. There's not enough time like I can cover it in a book. God bless you and keep you. God calls his face to shine upon you. The Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, our God, of which there is no other name written among men whereby a person can be saved other than our Lord Jesus Christ. Loves you and blesses you. God bless.